Eagle Vision's production of Taken, the podcast, deals with mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. We had just delivered our first season of Taken. It was my business partner, my spirit brother Kyle's birthday. I was at a powwow in Siksika Nation just outside of Calgary with my daughter Stevie, who was three at the time. I had been having bad headaches. Stevie and I were in the trailer, and I went to take a shower. The next thing I knew, I was waking up from a coma. I had a massive stroke. I had been convulsing on my trailer floor. My three-year-old daughter, helpless to do anything for eight hours before I was found and taken to the hospital. My family was called in from Winnipeg. Doctors predicted I wouldn't survive the next 72 hours. Elders began to pray for me. People prayed from all over North America. And by a miracle, I survived. Sometimes people tell me I should write a book about my experiences of recovery. It might help other people, but I just don't know if I can do that. It's too hard emotionally to even think about it. Maybe one day. Cheyenne Fox's dad, John Fox Sr., didn't wait. He wrote and published his own book. He wants the world to know about MMIWG. He wants the world to know about human trafficking. He wants the world to know about his daughter, Cheyenne Fox. It happened in Toronto, Ontario, the suburb of North York, 80 Harrison Garden Boulevard. Cheyenne Santana Marie Fox was only 20 years old when her lifeless body was found at the bottom of a high-rise on April 25, 2013. Cheyenne was last seen at a condo on the 24th floor. Multiple 911 calls related to Cheyenne had been made that night, but the response to those calls came too late. From Aquimacon First Nation of Manitoulin Island in Ontario, Cheyenne was a young mother to a little boy, Xavier. Cheyenne was a strong, beautiful young woman who loved to sing and had a great sense of humor. Earlier, on the night of her death, Cheyenne fell or was kicked out of a cab on Highway 401. It is likely that Cheyenne was trafficked to the condo in North York, but no one seems to have answers. At any time during this podcast or afterward, if you have any information that might help solve the case of the death of Cheyenne Fox, visit our website. Someone out there has answers. Our goal is to find them. Why have witnesses to Cheyenne's death not come forward? Could she have been pushed over the balcony? What happened to Cheyenne Fox? Over Cheyenne's short life, she lived in many places, including Thunder Bay and Winnipeg. In the spring of 2013, Toronto would be the last place Cheyenne was seen alive. Days before her death, she visited her dad in Peterborough, about an hour and a half from Toronto. Cheyenne's dad is a powerful man with a loving heart. He and Cheyenne's mom are no longer together, but he is devoted to his kids and loves spending time with his girl. Even though Cheyenne was grown up, she still was her dad's little girl. Yeah, it was uh, a couple of days before she died. Was uh, She was at our place and then, you know, she was just like um, vegging out, taking it easy. We're like, you know, we're just enjoying the company with each other. And that's what we always did. We, uh, you know, talked about things at home. We're like a family unit. It was that weekend, I guess, that comes to mind quite a bit. And uh, that Sunday, that, that's when she decided to leave. 
Cheyenne posted a final message on Facebook. She was excited about the future. So she left that Sunday and she uh, went to Toronto. And that was last time I talked to her. And the Facebook message that she sent after was, uh, she's fine and she's in Toronto and she's looking forward to working on her goals. And uh, that was to be a, a beautician. That's what she wanted to do. She had lots of goals for her, for herself. And those are things that she wanted to work for. Sadly, Cheyenne's dreams would never come true. Cheyenne's mother, Michelle Atkinson, has the same gorgeous smile as her late daughter. Michelle sometimes laughs when she's in the deepest pain and sadness. She remembers the day she found out Cheyenne was gone. 2013, it was about nine o'clock in the morning. I heard somebody knocking, like a loud knock on the door. And we were just getting up, me and my husband. He was still in the bedroom. I opened the door, there was this big old PP officer. <sighs> he goes, I have some bad news for you. And at first I thought, you know, it's one of my babies. He said, Cheyenne passed away last night. <sighs> I couldn't believe it. I just fell. I was just in shock. I didn't want to believe it. That police officer sat on the chair. I asked him, I said, what happened? And he said, she plunged from the 24th floor in Toronto. Toronto police provided this statement. On April 24th, 2013, police responded to an unknown trouble call at Highway 401 and Leslie Street. The call indicated a woman had fallen out of a taxi on the highway. During the investigation, police then responded to a domestic dispute at 80 Harrison Garden Boulevard. On scene, police discovered a woman lying face down on the ground. At the time, the cause of death was determined to be impact trauma. After an ongoing investigation, including multiple interviews and a determination by the coroner's office, there was no evidence to support any criminal activity. Cheyenne's death was initially deemed a suicide. Her father, John Fox Sr., will not accept that. We have a lot of women that go missing just about every other day in this country. And I read about it. And and I hear about it and I feel it. He feels the pain of his own loss and the pain of other grieving families. Amidst his own grief, John Sr. had the task of notifying Cheyenne's brother, John Jr. John is a tough young man with a brilliant mind. He looks intimidating. He is larger than life with his face and body covered in tattoos. But he is well known and beloved throughout Toronto for his social activism and work with youth. When his father told him the news of his sister's death, John Jr. was battling addictions, and the tragic news made recovery seem impossible. You know, I remember him telling me that, but like the emotions at that time weren't really there because due to the addictions and everything else. So, but after that, then that's when everything went, you know. So that, that's how I found out. 
John Sr. was concerned for his son. I was very, very worried about him. And he didn't talk about it, didn't talk to me or anything. And he did a little bit here and there, like, you know, through his own way. And, but I was pretty worried about him. And it was a shocker. Because Cheyenne was uh, everything to him and, and he was everything to her. Cheyenne Fox was, and still is, loved deeply. She is missed. Her family deserves answers to questions surrounding the circumstances of her tragic fall. Who was she with that night? What factors led her to be trafficked and her inevitable death? Is law enforcement pursuing justice in the case of Cheyenne Fox? If you have any information, visit our website. Cheyenne Fox had a beautiful son, a family that loved her. A vibrant young woman, she battled addiction, but had set goals for her future. She was only 20 years old when she was found dead at the bottom of a Toronto high-rise on April 25, 2013, leaving a family without a daughter, a sister, a mother. Her family keeps her memories close and cherishes her courageous spirit. Cheyenne's mother, Michelle, remembers her baby girl and how she was born into ceremony and taken into her first sweat lodge by an elder. He took her into uh, the sweat lodge and she was just a newborn. And he, she slept right through the whole thing. That's the way she grew up. Like we were always at powwows, you know, she grew up dancing. She was always around ceremony. Cheyenne had pudgy cheeks as a baby, the kind you just want to kiss. Her father, John, loved her from the moment he saw her. Cheyenne was, uh, when she was born, was the happiest day of my life. And she was born up in, uh, up in Northern Ontario. And uh, it was a big bundle of joy. And, and we were so happy up until, uh, you know, she started growing up. Uh, she was always always chirpy, always happy, and you know, and that's what, what she was. And so those are moments are, I cherish very much. Even as a child, Cheyenne was a brave-hearted spitfire. She wasn't scared to do things. She taught herself how to ride a two-wheeler. <laughs> she just took a bike, jumped on it, and went down the hill. Yeah, she crashed, but <laughs> at least she learned. <laughs> Cheyenne's brother, John Jr., also thinks fondly of his sister's wonderful nature. A part of my memory always remembers her like very happy, very, very courteous, very giving and generous person. Uh, you know, that, that's the kind of person she was. But more, more importantly is like the courage part, right? Despite her traditional grounding, as Cheyenne got older, her father noticed a change. I kind of felt she was like wandering away from that's the things that we were doing most of the times. That's when I started getting more concerned about her, just before the preteen years. When Cheyenne's parents, Michelle and John Sr., separated, she and her younger brother, John Jr., became even closer. We moved around a lot, so it's really hard to say like where we grew up in. You know, like we, we moved like all different places. Like we lived in the States, we lived all across Ontario. So 
you know, growing up in that that process, I guess it kind of uh, led us into like a kind of a feeling like where do we where do we stand with the community? She was always like struggling as a kid, right? Even even when she was growing up into her adult years. So I think she had a really hard time trying to understand like where where she was headed or understand who she is again. She always knew that there was an issue there. So she was very resilient on trying to understand her life, you know, her, her, her road that she was, she was trying to follow. So she was very well aware that she, she was trying to do good, right? But, you know, society that we're living in today, when a native leaves the reserves, they have a very, very hard time adapting to it because majority of the time the society is not, doesn't adapt to us. So it makes it hard for natives to survive in this major city population. Wab Canoe, author and politician, understands the issues of urban living. There's a certain beauty to the globalized, multicultural world. And, you know, I, I'm a very urban person and I like that. But at the same time, when I was younger, the temptations of a party lifestyle and the proximity to dysfunction, violence, uh, criminal lifestyle, those things mean that if you're on a bad path, you can go downhill very quickly in an urban environment. It can happen anywhere, but the urban environment seems to just amplify all those pressures. For predators seeking out the vulnerable, the city is a haven. They were luring her, you know, with the glamorous life, you know, nails, pretty things, you know, parties, you know, alcohol the life, the city life, you know, nightlife and things like that. She would always tell me that, you know, she'd be riding around in the car, you know, they're giving, they're buying her things, you know, buying her pretty things, getting her nails done, doing her hair. And she would say, oh, he loves me, you know. I said, baby, that's not love. I said, those kind of men, I said, they're going to make you pay for it in one way or another. In disbelief that her daughter was gone, despite a visit from law enforcement that left her in shock, Cheyenne's mom, Michelle, sought more clarity. So I ended up calling uh, the station, the division that had found her. I spoke to the police officer. I said, I'm the mother of Cheyenne Fox. I said, what happened? He goes, did you know she was a prostitute? And she was on drugs. She jumped. I was kind of like shocked. I said, you don't have to say it like that to me. I'm her mother. And he goes, it is what it is. I had to hang up. I couldn't, uh, just hearing that. You know, she wasn't just a prostitute, she was my baby. She was loved by many, everybody loved her. After receiving the news of Cheyenne's death, her family's first priority was the heartbreaking responsibility of taking her home. I wanted to get her home. I accepted that, that she wasn't going to be in our lives. And 
My job now is to be strong for the family, for our, my kids, for our entire family, and even my, my sisters and siblings and the, the kids were going to be affected. I had to, uh, you know, pick myself up somehow. At first, the coroner's office refused to release Cheyenne's body, but her father wouldn't give up. Because I was going to leave my daughter in there. That's not where she's meant to be because of our, because of the way she is and the way our culture is. I, there's no way in the world I would, leave, I would have ever left that place without my daughter. For Cheyenne Fox's family, so many questions still remain unanswered. What prevented witnesses from coming forward? Could an act of sexual violence have made Cheyenne more vulnerable to human trafficking? Will the release of John Fox Sr.'s book answer questions that others aren't willing to? April 25th. 2013 will always be remembered as the night Cheyenne Fox was found at the base of a Toronto high-rise in the suburb of North York. She had fallen 24 floors to her death and left behind a son, a family, and a future so rightly deserved. What the family is left with are memories and questions, but they are certain that somebody out there has answers. If you have any information that might help solve the case of the death of Cheyenne Fox, visit our website. Wab Canoe is a politician, the leader of Manitoba's provincial NDP party. He has been a rapper, a musician, and has had his own experience with violence in an urban environment and being lured into dangerous situations. Wab is a devoted advocate to the rights of Indigenous women and girls and the rights of all people. Wab has some strong advice regarding the issues faced by women. To non-Indigenous people, I would say, the issue around violence against women is particularly acute in the Indigenous community. But don't kid yourselves either. You have this problem too. It's true that an Indigenous woman is much more likely to be murdered. But there's too much violence against all women in our society. When I talk to young women and I hear them you know, stories of being accosted in the street or even being catcalled and objectified in the workplace. I know that even though we have to undertake this work in the Indigenous community, I know our whole society has to undertake this work too. And again, it's men who have to do a lot of this work. We have to talk to other men about consent. We have to talk to other men about um, using language that's respectful and to stop using language that's uh, objectifying of uh, women. And finally, you know, we have to clear spaces so that they're safe, all spaces in our society, so that they're safe for women, uh, girls, for two-spirited people also. And so for me, um, this is one of the issues of our time. Cheyenne's family wants the people who know what happened to her to come forward. But they know that the reason they haven't may be because it would put their own safety at risk. We had a lot of witnesses, lots of witnesses. But uh, there was one girl that was with her that night and she's not talking. But I didn't want to ask her anything because she, she's scared. Because she, uh, there's uh, human trafficking issues involved here, murders, trafficking of our Aboriginal women. And 
it's a big concern. And when she was, she agreed to meet with, with me one time and they followed her. There's somebody out there that knows exactly what happened to her. They know the person, they know what happened, but they're gonna live with that the rest of their life. The police's account of what happened to Cheyenne make it difficult for her family to heal. We're having a lot of hard times because they, the police closed the file right away. They tried to write us all, write the, my daughter's death as a suicide. And they told my family that she's, she was a prostitute. And so uh, not very long after that, they closed the file. People called me and they, they, they asked me, like, you know, they asked me to get involved when I do. And I have been for a long time, even before my daughter died. I live and breathe that, and an elder told us when Cheyenne died that this is going to be a, a big turning point coming because of her. And I think this is it. Because I see these girls out there, like, uh, there's drugs out there, there's gangs, there's uh, pedophiles, there's human traffickers, there's uh, pimps prostitu in prostitution and uh, they have no hope in hell. What I can hope for is uh, that there'll be some justice for not only for my daughter, but for, for this country to start recognizing and wanting to do something about all these missing and murdered women and girls. And now the, that issue also is uh, the missing and murdered boys too, and the men also, that has to be in there part of that too. John had the courage to write and self-publish an account of Cheyenne's life, the traumas she experienced, and some explosive accusations about who might have been involved in her death. The book, The Fire Within, is available at dornspublishing.com. John chose to write this book to bring out awareness not only to the case of his daughter's death, but also to bring awareness to all missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and the tragedy of missing men and boys in Canada as well. Cheyenne will never be forgotten, and her light still shines in the treasured gift she gave her family, her son, Xavier. Xavier is now 11 years old, and he is tall like his mother. Has her nose, has her eyes. You know, he's gonna be a very handsome man. Yeah, she loved that baby so much. You know, she was very protective. Yeah, that was her world. John Jr. also felt protected by his sister Cheyenne and now has had to come to terms with her no longer being in his life. Prior to her death, she was sexually assaulted and during and her death, she was we believe when she was killed, which I do believe. And, you know, I had to do a lot of uh, forgiving. Like, I had to really look deep down inside of who I really am, because I know deep in our culture that if if we if we hold resentments against people, and obviously we're not hurting that person. I'm just killing myself, and that's not something my sister wants. For Cheyenne's mother, the anguish of losing her daughter is immeasurable, and her wish to protect her is everlasting. <sighs> I would trade places with you, baby. 
and I miss you. You were too beautiful for this earth. If you have any information about the death of Cheyenne Fox or to find a link to John Fox Sr.'s book, visit our website. In the next episode of The Taken Podcast, we will travel to Calgary, Alberta to share the story of the seemingly random act of violence that led to the murder of Jackie Crazy Bull. We will meet her sister, whose devotion to keeping Jackie's memory alive has been an inspiration to many. We will learn what the city of Calgary is doing to prevent gang violence. And we will meet Jackie's son, who lost his mother as a child and has grown to become a teenager who is deeply tied to his culture and devoted to advocacy for his mother and other missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. For more information about the Taken series, resources, or to share information or tips you may have about any of these cases, visit our website at takentheseries.com or download the free Taken Knowledge Keeper app for iOS or Android. Taken, the podcast, Cheyenne Fox, was written by Jackie Black and Rebecca Gibson. It was produced by Hannah Johnson, Tyson Karen, Linda Nelson, Norm Lucier, and Martin Davis Kinnack. Executive produced by Kyle Irving and Rebecca Gibson, and hosted by executive producer Lisa Meaches. Taken, the podcast, was produced by Eagle Vision in 2020. For a full list of credits, visit our website. To watch full episodes of Taken, the television series, visit aptn.ca. Funding for Taken, the podcast, provided by the Government of Canada through Women and Gender Equality Canada.